hyphenbookclub.com. We gotta get the URL. Hell Yo, like Angel that. said that to me. She's like, oh, you got your book club? That's adorable. <laughs> I was like, this is why I'll tell you nothing. And she was like, I'm serious. It's adorable. You have a book club. And I was like, I was like, all you do is mock me all the time. This is why I don't tell you nothing. I, t- I tell you, I wanna, I wanna do this, and you make fun of me. <laughs> nice. Power 106. LA, it's your girl, Yessi Ortiz. Got some Commissioner David Stern has the card for a team that used 47 different starting lineups. Here's the commissioner. With the seventh pick in the 2009 NBA draft, the Golden State Warriors select... Stephen Curry from Davidson College. I didn't realize that there were so many fans here who dislike the Golden State Warriors so much. <laughs> Actually, the reaction says it all. Nothing against Golden State, but these Knicks fans wanted Stephen Curry, the 6'3 junior guard out of Davidson, who quite simply is the best shooter in the draft. Jay Billis, he led the nation in scoring at 28 points per game. What makes him special? Damon Andrews here in the Comcast Sportsnet studios with this news alert. The Golden State Warriors sale became official on Friday today in San Francisco. New owners Joe Lacob and Peter Goober were introduced to the media. An exciting day for all Bay Area basketball fans as the new owners are now officially in charge of the Bay Area's only professional hoops franchise. Full details on sports. Welcome to the Barack Obama Approved World's Greatest Podcast, Hyphenation. I'm your host, Kellen Conley, and with me today, I'm not alone, even though I've been social distancing virtually and in real life. I have my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Show Mad Love Robinson. How are you, Marcus? Good, baby. How are you? 
Living a dream, brother. Living a dream. You you know how we do. You know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also that giggle you just heard. Another returning guest. Like this man is like putting in work on hyphenation. Like he's here more than me lately. <laughs> George, the Howitzer Gerbo. Welcome back to hyphenation, sir. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to be back as always. It's good, good for you to be back because I, I needed this. So, Marcus requested us our presences again. He said, I need you and I need Gerb. They go, okay, okay, cool. And he said, and I need y'all to read. And I was like, oh no. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, I was like, what are we reading? And he's like, nah, nah, there's this, this book coming out and I, I want y'all to check it out and spend your hard earned cash to get this book. Some people spend their hard earned cash to get this book. Some and I want, yeah. And I, I want y'all to read it and we, I want to, I want to cover it. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. That's cool, Marcus. Like, I'm glad you're making time for me since you're so busy with your other co-hosts and stuff, you know. So I did what he asked me to do. And, yes, I took that shot because the first time I've had you on to do so. Um, and then it is hilarious. You sound really amused by it, actually. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Marcus wanted us to check out this new book that just dropped. And... The book is about the Golden State Warriors dynasty of the past few years. And I was like, oh, well, that solely is right up my alley. Because one thing that I love is sports books. And the book is called, of course, the, the cover goes away when I hit the button, The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty by Ethan Sherwood Strauss. So Marcus had us read the intro and the first chapter and the second chapter and that's what we're going to t- uh, take a little look at here today. So I'm just going to throw it over to Mr. Show and Mad Love. Uh, Marcus, what was it about this book that intrigued you and what made you want to uh, made it made you want to talk about it here on the Barack Obama Approved World's Greatest Podcast? Well, before I get started on that, Kellen, I am thrilled to be back on Hyphen Nation. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not as cute as Cat. I get it. But, um, you know, and I'm not as thoughtful and and good at talking and being funny as Kat, but it's cool. You got to move on to new pastures and stuff. Helen, you sell yourself way too short. You're totally a cutie. I'm not. <laughs> I, not quarantine hyphen is not cute. I can tell you that much. Uh, Kellen, you can still pull down all the guys and gals. You know that, Kellen. You know, just stop it. Stop it. We're not, not talking about that now. We can talk about that later. Hey, okay. Not without a minute, but uh, I was talking about this argument we're having because we're here to do business. We're here to work, sir. Gosh. <laughs> okay, we don't have to mi- mix business and pleasure. <laughs> 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 All right. But but no, like for the victory machine, um, the reason I did want to cover it is, well, one well, actually to start, even before even looking at the cover and like even really knowing all what it was about, um, I definitely wanted to pod with Kellen and George because, uh, you know, definitely of the podcast partners that we've all built, 
Um, I definitely value you guys' sports opinions pretty heavily. And I do know that, especially for, you know, I know me and Kellen talked about basketball a lot. Um, but I do know this would be a great form to really digest uh, this book and also sort of looking at like sort of outside ramifications of KD's decision to go to Golden State. Um, I do think that even looking at the book still, um, I was super excited for the book. Um, Ethan uh, Strauss is actually a really good writer. He's actually pretty smart, um, you know, about his connections and also pretty smart about basketball. Um, he had, He's a part of like another podcast collective um, that kind of sprouted out of ESPN. Um, now they're called the Count the Dings Network. Um, he, he comes on uh, every now and then, um, but he's always been a pretty good insider, especially for the Warriors uh, team. So I knew that whenever, you know, word dropped of the book being um, being released, I knew that it was going to be really sort of a behind-the-scenes look. This is something that I have a lot of interest in, but, you know, not necessarily knowledge, especially on the, the depth that Ethan would have. Um, so I definitely wanted to uh, pay for the book. <laughs> uh, but... But no, but um, I knew the, I knew the book would be really interesting, and so and so far, like it's definitely living up to that. Um, so George, so do you have like any um, were you knowledgeable about Ethan Strauss at all, or did you have an interest in the book uh, when news first broke of it? Yeah, so he he pretty much if you if you follow sports and you, especially if you follow the NBA, he's been like the guy reporting on not only the Warriors, but like the whole Durant stuff over the when's he going to leave, when's he not going to leave. And he appears, I know Marcus is a fellow Levitard stan, he's on the Levitard show a whole bunch. So like I I knew him from that, um, just from listening to him on there. And he was insightful and could be funny at the same time. So clicked on a few of his articles here and there. Uh, Stugatz, Ethan, Ethan Strauss had uh, a story the other day as part of, he writes for The Athletic, he's the author of the new book, The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. You can get it wherever books are sold, but he reported a trade uh, that floored me that was completed. It was done. Uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson for Chris Paul. Both sides had agreed, but Chris Paul did not agree to an extension, and so everything changed. I don't know if there's a lot more surprising than that in the book but ethan strauss joins us now on espn radio thank you ethan uh for making the time can you tell me um how uh, not how you found that out but how surprised you were when you found out uh that that trade was something that had uh in all for all intents and purposes uh been completed um i i can't say i was too shocked but there there is a contingent of gms in the league i will say who have watched this warrior's success and grouse and they grumble and they go they didn't know everything they didn't have it all figured out they weren't light years ahead they would have traded steph curry for the right price and it's understandable we forget that steph curry wasn't assumed to turn into any kind of superstar and he had these ankle issues and as far as trading clay thompson in 2011 who was clay thompson he was a first round draft pick and nobody was predicting multiple all-stars for him except maybe jerry west so all of these things, in retrospect, they seem very shocking. But at the time, the Warriors were a laughing stock. Uh, they weren't thought to have championship-level players, so it made sense to try to make a move. What's interesting is the mentality of the Warriors. 
specifically at the top level, specifically the owner, Joe Lacob, which is this idea of people from the outside will say, oh, this means that they didn't know what they were doing. This means that they got lucky. But I think the Lacob perspective is, well, we would have made it work and won championships with Chris Paul. You know, we would have made it work. Our organization is better. We're light years ahead. We've got quality up and down the ranks. We would have made that particular decision work out in the way it worked out by getting or keeping Steph and keeping Clay Thompson. That's the mentality from on high. I think it's crazy, but it was also probably essential to the Warriors punching above their weight after Joe Lacob got the team. I think he writes for the Athletic. I, I'm a big Athletic fan. I read their stuff. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely interested. You, that and means you pay for the you pay for the material to get to that. I, I do. I, I do. But when I do, you gotta like you you get the like only the thirty. I think it's like sixty bucks a year. But I don't. I think I only pay like thirty bucks a year or something because you gotta like find the discount thing. And then when your subscription ends, you just gotta let it lapse. And then you sign back up with a different email account and a new promo code, and you just kind of keep that. You just kind of keep that that running. And you know, I got a whole bunch of tricks. Yeah. Um. But no, I. I mean, I just stuff like the inside stuff, especially because I feel like you get more of it with basketball, just because. I don't want to put this like, you know, football. You got 50 guys in a locker room, and you're not really. You know, you kind of keep with your units. You know, if you're a defensive guy, you're you're sticking with the de- defensive, and even like even smaller than that. So if you're a D back or a safety, you hang out with those guys. You're not going to necessarily hang out with like the linemen. Um, but in mm-hmm. basketball, in basketball, it's just 12 guys, and you're in a room, 12, 15, you know, 12, 15 guys in a room, um, on the plane, and it's just like it gives you kind of a, a window into how all, all of them are together. And because it's such a small unit, seemingly, or at least like the way the books write, because, you know, I read a book about the Dream Team a few years ago that was really good about how like the internal conflict between all those guys, you get a lot more of like gossip and stuff that comes out of NBA locker rooms, it feels like, as opposed to other sports. So I was definitely interested in seeing, especially with the Warriors, how what looked like it was this kind of pristine thing on the outside for a couple of years really might have some cracks on the inside. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean... For basketball, like NFL, like you're only on the road, what, like eight times out of the year? Uh, well, now it may be nine times. But but for basketball, like you're on the road 41 times. That doesn't include the playoffs. Um, you're It is a smaller group, so everyone is in each other's business like all the time. And, for, and it's just basketball is just a funner sport to follow that I feel – like I grew up with someone who I love the NFL, <laughs> but for some reason the NBA just feels like a funner league to just be a part of, and mm-hmm. may, maybe that it it is that sort of WWE aspect of of the drama because in the NBA, unlike the other sports, like the players or professional sports, the players really drive the focus of the league. But in college football and even in the pros, it's like the coaches are like kind of the head honchos in a lot of ways. Like I legit don't want to even hear Bill Belichick's name anymore. And yet we have to kind of hear about how he's like the, the Darth Vader driving the, the Patriots to another Super Bowl this coming season. All so, the time. Yeah. And so Steve Kerr, who's arguably head of one of the greatest, you know, dynasties in, in professional sports, 
Um, he's a guy who is very politically astute and aware, but he he doesn't make waves. Like he he praises everyone from the players to the assistant coaches. And then every now and then we get, you know, uh, LeBron and Steph Curry drama. So, <laughs> so like, it's, I think the balance of the NBA as far as, like, the um, the actual, like, sport, but also the dramatics behind it on and off the court, I think it's, it's definitely, like, a uh, soap opera for adults. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Hiya, puddins. It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell you all about it. It's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff. And if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or Theater from Our Butts. Have a good day, puddins, and love, trust, and belief. So let's, well, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we need to do it like book report style where we go through um, chapter after chapter, but. Um, but I wrote a book report. I mean, well, you can you can turn in at the end of the day. <laughs> I'll check your work. <laughs> <laughs> Bet sounds great. Is that part? Is that part of the business or pleasures? <laughs> Kellen, you have to stay. Why don't you stay class? too, George, and you can find out. <laughs> George is the principal. <laughs> I didn't know Principal Gerbo. <laughs> oh, wow, this is this is turned left real fast. Fourteen <laughs> <laughs> oh, will do that to you. Oh yes, it will. It definitely will. So quickly. <laughs> but uh, but so we like I said, we don't have to get into. Let's talk chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and that sort of order. But we can definitely cover everything um, generally, but also kind of get into specifics of the book. Um, so basically for this episode, we're going to be discussing the intro um, in the first two chapters, um, which Ethan, just speaking from overall standpoint, I think Ethan does a really good job of actually writing and narrating this book and setting it up. Um, I think the flow of the book is really good it's really easy to read um just from that perspective what do you guys feel about ethan's writing style yeah I'm, you have to say i had to look up a word like in the introduction i was like damn i don't know what that word means he uses some ten dollar <laughs> words in there a lot of ten dollar words <laughs> he he definitely does go ahead george I, and like you know i his writing writing style i like i will say this is like super technical but like so chapter one is about um kind of how you know the ownership group joe lacobe and those guys bought the warriors way back like 10 years ago now that whole chapter kind of reads like a big long like article like kind of like a newspaper article you'd read about or like an espn.com like feature piece and then like chapter two for me kind of felt more book like i know it's hard to quantify but like chapter two kind of felt more like telling the story of how we get into this, whereas chapter one was more like kind of, he, it's mostly his interview with LaCobe on how he buys the team and everything. And it feels a lot like a super long form journalism piece. Um, still great writing, but just that was, it was, 
it was interesting to me how kind of like that was a different tone than like chapter two started getting into him kind of his perspective more and not just like reporting chapter one kind of felt like reporting and then chapter two kind of felt more a little bit longer like storytelling to me no i agree uh i think especially when he, he is it one is it lakeup or lakeup i thought it was lakeup i yeah i'm not sh- that and then cohen or Coggin or what or whoever the Chris Chris Cohen or Cohan who who was the original owner of the of the Warriors yeah I'm not sure the pronunciations myself so. okay. uh, oh I had to look up the dude who was like the the agent for Cohan or whatever like how you said his name like the Sal dude yeah because yeah, his yeah. name was driving me nuts I was like man it was like Galliato or something like that the way the Google said it made it sound way better I was. It's like Gat Galatiato, Galatiato. That's it. Yeah. Um, so pronounce those words. We will be slaughtering names, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Fuck it, we we out here. <laughs> but no, you I know do, what it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, I do think that um, the the writing style, especially in the second chapter, it does get uh, pretty personable. But in a in a really good and really approachable way, um, especially like one of the one of the um, stories that he sets up with um, Jerry West, where he's you know West is sort of giving like his insight about uh, signing a certain player, and I'm trying to find it right now. Hold on. Uh, Was it the Harrison Barnes one? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's it. Um, when when asked if um, they were going to give him that sort of uh, give him that sort of money, Jerry was definitely brushed it off in the most hilarious of ways. So, <laughs> he, so he, he like pointed to the elevator or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it was. I think the book so far, at least, is definitely showing that it's going to give like. Uh, a lot of good insight um, for the Warriors and just basketball overall and how the business of basketball is done. Um, before we get too in-depth to the to the book and its details and, like, his revelation so far, I do want to get you guys a sort of uh, mind state of where you are basically when, this, when the Warriors are sort of getting constructed. So um, think about yourself and, like, pro basketball around 2013 – um, Kellen, to start with you, so <laughs> I know you have a tumultuous relationship with the Bulls, <laughs> but, but talk, can, you, can, you, can you remember what your fan experience was around like the 2013-2014 uh, uh, season? 2013-2014 season was a weird time for me because I had just spent so much time over the years hating LeBron James, okay? <laughs> and because I, like a true Michael Jordan fan, like I hated anybody who came close. So God rest your soul, Kobe. But I hated your ass for years, and then and then LeBron, I hated your ass for years as well. And and then like I when he moved to Miami, I was like, oh, he did this all wrong. He's horrible. I'm glad they lost to the Mavs. When they beat the Thunder, I was like, all right, that's fine. What really really sold it for me. Um, with the um heat, um, was it twenty? Was it twenty thirteen when they played the Celtics and like they 
they went down against the Celtics. It was at 2012 when I can't remember for sure when LeBron just went off in Boston Garden and he scored or whatever the Fleet Center. He had like 48 points against the Celtics um, when they had that elimination game. Let me do. Let me just look real quick. You mean the second greatest game of LeBron James' career? Arguably, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was 2012. Like I hated LeBron up to that moment because it it was before he won a championship, and it was after he lost to the Mavericks. They go into 2012. They're going against the Celtics. The Celtics have the lead, and like he just went back to Boston and he took care of business and he won that game. And then ultimately went on to win the finals. And then the next year against the Spurs, I didn't care so much either because it was like I didn't want the Spurs to win because I was one of those people back then. I was like, oh, the Spurs are the Spurs. You know, they're just kind of like they always win. They're really good. I, they don't do anything for me. They're not my team. And the Heat were still – I wanted to hate them, but at the same time what they were doing to – teams like the Bulls and the Pacers and what they were doing in the playoffs, like by that time it was like their third straight year doing it. It was kind of hard to deny. And so after they won in 13 against like, all right, they're two time champs. I was like, I'm kind of like, there's, I just look like an asshole over here, like hating on them so badly um, to do anything. So from that point is when I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to kind of give them a chance and, and see what happens with them. And the Bulls were fighting with Derrick Rose to get him to play. He said he was hurt. He wasn't hurt. And, like, honestly, like, beyond the Bulls, because I knew the Bulls were only going to do so much, and I think that was a year, let's see, 13-14, Rose got hurt in 12. He missed 12-13. 13-14 is when he came back for, like, six games, and then he couldn't play anymore. Um, Honestly, I just remember 13-14, I was just a big fan of the NBA in general. And then I was actually cheering for the Heat when they got to the finals that year. And then that was the cramp game when LeBron went into San Antonio. And I was like, yeah, the, the Heat's about to beat San Antonio again. And then he got the cramp and he couldn't play and he had to sit down. And he had, everybody's like, oh, LeBron cramped up. And they end up losing that series in five and stuff. But never in a million years did I think that from when they lost that series in San Antonio to when he announced he's going back home to Cleveland, did I think that a year later we'd be looking at the the Golden State Warriors as NBA champions? Like never in a million years. So I remember the NBA being real fun back then. Other mm-hmm. than me struggling with the Bulls um, issues, and the NBA is still fun. But I just remember that that was a time when, again, the game was transitioning. It was right before space and pace became a big thing. Everybody in the league and it was just a, a time where it really happened and just like nobody really thought LeBron was going to go back to Cleveland and he did. And then nobody really thought that Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors was going to beat the Cavs in the 2015 finals. And they did. So it was just real up in the air there for a while. And it was, it was quite fun to watch on a regular basis. Yeah. Cause this is the year, uh, Mark Jackson's last year when they lost in the first round, uh, to the Clippers and, you know, no one sort of foresaw. I mean, hell, like Kerr, I guess according to reports, like Kerr was like two seconds away from the Knicks job, which would, yeah. which would have definitely changed the course of NBA history. Um, I don't know for better or for worse, but it definitely would have changed. Um, but yeah, I was during this time uh, definite John Wall 
uh, fanatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this was the yeah, year. Yeah, they they beat uh, the Chicago Bulls in the uh, first round, <laughs> but they lost um, in the semis against the Pacers. Um, so the this, Pacers. Uh, wow, look at you! Look at the pettiness. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> hater, man. I'm I a hater. I know. <laughs> but but um, yeah, so this is like I would say even kind of even before John Wall's sort of real apex. I think the next season is is when Gang Signed was really born. <laughs> like over the next <laughs> over the next like two seasons, like when John Wall will like actually sort of uh, get into his prime. Um, but this is I would I agree with Kellen, like this is when, you know, the NBA is definitely in a real fun space. Um, you know, this is a season like right, you know, Cavs losing five, but then he, he pivots to Cleveland again, which I was always like anytime like that first year I saw LeBron playing, like I would always have a moment when I say, Wow, I can't believe he went back to Cleveland mm-hmm. because it was truly that shocking. Um so George, what about you? What is your sort of fandom around this time period? Yeah, no, it's it's watching those uh those those wizards so i i didn't have a team really like i'd always watch basketball but i mean i remember being a big iverson fan growing up i just kind of like watching the way guys play and stuff yeah because like i couldn't bring myself to be a sixers fan because they were like too far and like we didn't get cav like kellen kind of gets it we didn't get like cav games on on tv (laughs) or anything but like Mm -hmm. everybody's like oh oh pittsburgh should have basketball teams like pittsburgh don't need a basketball team like we got there's not stuff in pittsburgh but um, I, so I just like, you just end up watching like whatever's, you know, comes on and just like, I like the way Iverson played. Like if I had, if you had to give me like favorite, you know, NBA player in my childhood, it was probably AI. Iverson. Yes. How about that? And that steps over to Ron Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. Just like, just people that kind of perform out of their bodies. Like I'm drawn to that. Like, oh, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. And just like the things that Allen Iverson did for his size going up against those type of teams going into. I mean, like you call me old school, but like I like seeing guys drive a lane and seeing what they can do underneath, you know. So I I really enjoyed watching him play. That's what I love about Derrick Rose, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, I, just, I remember when they got to the oh, final. Oh, Derrick Rose, obviously. <laughs> he might bring it back. No. <laughs> but good old Derrick Rose. The, 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 the two-step carry dribble, Euro-step uh, drive to the lane. I mean, I remember. Yeah. Oh, but like that. Well, like, so did AI. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then, like, so I moved to D.C. and my roommate was a big basketball fan. And I only I had only known John Wall from, you know, being happy that we kicked their ass in uh, Syracuse to go to the final four that uh, year. Oh yes. <laughs> so just like, ah, suck it John Wall. Um, but, and so, but no, it was just like, okay, man, I was Marcus will appreciate this. I was at the first wizards game, like all this stuff. And it was the Andre Blotch say and telling everyone he's the captain game. Yeah. That was, and it's just like, okay. And it was all downhill from there. So the, the so the wizards <laughs> at that point, like to go on a small like wizard sidetrack, they are coming off of the Gilbert Arenas, people shitting in shoes in the locker room type of stuff into <laughs> and they're like trying to come out of that. And it's like we have John Wall, but like you just think they're going to trade him at some point because that's what the Wizards do. Um, but they actually came out of that <laughs> into going going back to the playoffs and beating the Bulls. 
um, and then losing to the Pacers. And then what I like to call the old head era with, um, man, Andre Miller and Drew Gooden and Al Harrington fucking led to the playing Wizards to the second round of the playoffs one year. And Paul Pierce, it's just ridiculous. But that was a thing that happened uh, in 2014. So. That yeah, so that's kind of I think I like rare. Wizards Paul Pierce better than I like Celtics Paul Pierce. Hell okay. yeah! Did you call bank? I call game. <laughs> okay, I like that. Just throw that out there. That's where I'm at is kind of like actually having a team, and it's like, all right, you know, I live and I've lived in D.C. for ten years now, so like I it's finally got a basketball team that I can kind of pull for, even though they continue to frustrate me and piss me off by the things that they do, but. um but yeah, that's kind of like 20. It's funny because 20, like, and the book kind of does a good job of this. Like, 2010 is really where we start bridging that. I don't want to call it old NBA, but like, you know, what the 90, what the 2000s version of the NBA was into this now crazy analytic driven perimeter shooting kind of league that it is now. It's It starts there. It starts like between 11 and 14 is when you've got some teams playing the classic style or whatever was, you know, the norm at that time. And then some teams are like, ah, maybe we can try some things different. And the Warriors are one of those teams that started to try some, to do some things different. Yeah. Cause I think, um, particularly for chapter two, it does get into that aspect of how, um, the old way of doing business versus the new way, especially it's sort of drawn out in the example of, um, uh, Mark Jackson versus Steve Kerr mm-hmm. and how, you know, they couldn't get over the home with, with uh, Jackson, but now in chapter three, they're going to get more into this, but Steve Kerr sort of being the, the, maybe one of the reasons as to why they actually turned the the corner, so to speak. Um, I do think this book, like you said, George, that it does have a good way of sort of painting a picture of what the NBA was uh, prior to the Warriors dynasty and setting up for what it's actually going to become after that. Um, during the, during the reading of the book, um, do you guys have like any sort of interesting revelations that you remember or wanted to talk about? Because I think this book is really, I think it's really effective in painting a picture of how, you know, as they say in the wire, all All the pieces matter. Like (laughs) they are really, well, Ethan is, he's really showing us how much actually goes into winning championships because I do think, you know, for the most part for the average fan, it is, it does sort of come down to like the players on the court and if they can actually do it or not. But, you know, Ethan talks about even how the, the, the sale and purchase of the Warriors was kind of actually not really supposed to happen. Um, but the, if the sale actually goes through to, um, Ellison. Larry, yeah, Larry Ellison. Mm-hmm. If that cell actually goes through, then I don't, I don't think any of this is even a story. Um, but other than that sort of detail, what do you guys think of sort of interesting revelations about the book? I'll tag on with what you said. I got a couple of different ones, but like what you said about Mark Jackson, I can remember like when they got to the playoffs and then they lose to the Clippers, and it's like, damn, they fired Mark Jackson. Like, what you know, it seems like they're right on the edge of something. And then to read, I, I'm going to put my personal, I don't like Mark Jackson as a commentator bias aside. Um, but, Mama, there goes that fight. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just like, okay. And they've done it for so long now. God bless them. But like, I just can't 
first of all, I did not realize he was a minister and was still like doing all of his church stuff in Southern, like Southern California, and then coaching the Warriors in Northern California kind of simultaneously, which obviously sounds difficult. But then on top of that, <laughs> he kind of surrounded himself with people like Brian Scalabrini who were lesser than him so that he wouldn't be under threat that they would take over his job or something. That was kind of funny. I enjoyed that. Yo, I mean, because even for Mark Jackson, actually the funny thing is I actually just found this out like um, – like maybe like a month ago, bef- like that he was still preaching, mm-hmm. and it's uh. <laughs> I, yeah, I had no idea, no idea that he was still at the same time doing that and like flying up to coach and things at the same time. Yeah, um, Andre uh, Iguodala, he did a he did an interview with the uh, the Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. and he actually he thinks that that's I mean the book does allude to it, but he kind of actually concurred that he does think that um. Him being a preacher is actually what led to him actually not not only being fired, but actually being blackballed by the NBA. Mm. So that's I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Like, um, mm-hmm. and if, if I hadn't caught that interview randomly, I would not have not even guessed that, honestly. Now, what have happened to Mark? Because he, he put that team together, it seems like. And then nobody ever gave him a chance again, which is seems weird. I just talked about it earlier about playing a part. But if that's not who you really are, you can't play the part or you can't play the politic politics game. And I think it was a lot of that. Like we were huge fans of Mark, the players. He was ultimate players coach. That 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 was I mean, he pretty much put that team together. Like that's that's what we first started hearing about the Warriors. And then it was like he got let go and then no other team gave him a shot. And I'll talk about it in the book, as far as he was like one of my favorite coaches of all time. It was like come in, compete, play hard, and then he was gonna put you in the best position to get the most money like it was players who got paid because of him that shouldn't have got paid he was like look man if you just do this you're gonna get paid and i'm gonna send you out there to do it that's all i want you to do is do this just go get paid and then he said it yeah i remember he said steph and clay were gonna be the best backcourt ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they said he was crazy they did mm-hmm. this was six, six seven this was seven years ago and that joint like it came to fruition but I feel like just the politics of it, man. And when you say politics, what do you mean? I know they they used to be upset because he was too religious. They said. Did he make y'all go to church? That was a rumor that he made y'all go. to nah, church. No, he didn't make Sunday? us. Oh. He didn't make us go to church. Like he offered it to us, and we all went as a team because okay. we got a team bunch of believers. So we went to church. Like we was going to church regardless. Mm-hmm. But it was the politics, and then you know how it is when they, once they want you out, they gonna find something. So it was the it was he had church in the facility like on Wednesday. Sometimes he would stream his church service. He'll just set up a computer in, in the facility and he'll just preach. And then his congregation can watch, can stream it from at home or from the church. Well, on the road, I don't know. I know at home he did. It'd be like at seven o'clock at night. So okay. nobody was in there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one particular issue was his views on gender or marriage or uh, what the Bible said mm-hmm. on your sexuality. Okay. And our head of our business. One of the t- he was the brains behind All-Star Weekend. Like, this dude, in, uh, he created the All-Star Weekend. Rick mm-hmm. Welch, like, genius. And he's gay. So there was conflicts with that that was, you know, widespread. Everyone was talking about that. You think Mark Jackson's blackballed from the NBA? I do, yes. Kellen, what, um, what are some revelations that you found that were pretty interesting in the book? Um, Speaking of Iggy... <laughs> <laughs> just off the the intro man like they, they're talking about justin holiday 
having like like he's trying <laughs> to be yeah. on the team and stuff. And <laughs> then he has a couple bad games, and then and then uh Iggy just like just moves his stuff in his locker and just takes his shit, and then they get in a fight. And he's like, oh, well, I just needed a space. He's just starting stuff. <laughs> and I don't know much about Iggy, like, outside, like off the court. He's never been someone who's in the news or that. And he's not, like, a big a big personality. He was always, like, he's with Philly. He was with Denver. And then he ended up on his Golden State team and being a part of their of this run that they've had. But never in a million years would I thought that Andre Iguodala was, like, hazing dudes just for no reason. <laughs> just They were like, oh, well, I need the space. And, he, like, he's literally just doing it to do it. And, like, I was, I didn't expect that name to come across. Like, I thought it'd be, I don't, like, I just didn't think it'd be Iggy. And then it turned out to be Iggy, and he just laughs about it. Like, this this is normal. Like, and, like, I get it. And they, they, a lot of this is alluded to in the introduction where they're talking about how, how masculine the NBA is and yada yada yada, but and and I get that there's always been like rookie hazing and stuff and and carry the bags rook and that kind of thing. But to, to when it comes down to this being your job and then you being like fuck it, I don't care. I'm just gonna I'm gonna treat you the way I feel like you deserve to be treated and just go about your day. That that kind of took me threw me off a little bit. So that just shows how real this is to some people and then how. Once you receive a certain level of status in the NBA, that you can kind of like maybe someone did that to him back in the day, mm-hmm. but to Iggy. But um, just show goes to show you, man, that this this game is cutthroat, and just just as free agency proves every year, man, like it it does not matter to anyone um, who these people are, like outside of the other than being teammates and stuff. It, this is just somebody I work with, you know. Um, I think. Uh, I think the Strauss did a good job uh, coming conveying that message through the introduction. So that that would definitely took me um off guard. Another another revelation, staying on the more humorous side, which <laughs> Captain Stephen Jack, Captain Jack, Stephen Jackson in the story of him being a finesse king, like that <laughs> was so funny. So in in the book. Um, Stephen Jackson is talking to um, another reporter and, you know, they're having a conversation and all of a sudden Jackson just sort of cuts off the conversation abruptly (laughs) to quote, hold on, Jackson said, let me let this motherfucker think I like him so I can get this money. (laughs) 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 Stephen Jackson Jackson was talking about... Uh, then uh, Bobby Rowell, uh, then president of the Warriors, to finesse out of a three-year extension that he didn't even need. <laughs> so, like, wow. it, and like that kind of that really just speaks to the business of the, like the NBA. Like, we don't really think of how you know we we all know about the contract and how everyone's contract is you know public domain, unfortunately, but we don't really think about players, what they have to do to actually get the money. Um, a lot of the times we, we do think it's about, you know, uh, if they work hard, they'll get paid or whatever. But in actuality, it's about the relationship that they have to build, even if they're <laughs> totally false. Um, but it's what they can, you know, really negotiate for themselves in that sort of way. Um, so I thought that even that little tidbit, which is kind of a throwaway, like that, that to me was like absolutely hilarious. Did anybody see uh, Steve Stephen Jackson uh, on the IG 
he won. He was on with Elliot Wilson at one point. They're they're doing like a live IG, and like Elliot Wilson asked about his championship ring with the Spurs, and he went and got that damn thing, and he was like literally two steps away from it, and he just threw that joint up on on IG live, which was a total total uh, stunt, and mm. then. And then he was doing something. I forget what I was looking at. I don't know if it was on a story or what. But my man is literally smoking blunts on on IG, like not even caring and, and quarantine. Like, and I'm like, damn, Stephen Jackson's living that life right now. He just does not care. I mean, he doesn't need the drug test. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. He should not need the drug test. I mean, I, I who's he working for now? Is he at ESPN still? Um, I don't think anybody remember. I don't think he's with ESPN anymore. Um, I know he come. He used to come on the jump, um, pretty regularly. Um, but I don't think he's officially employed with ESPN anymore. Um, and <laughs> it's funny speaking of uh, the pot, um, how the Ethan pot. definitely, ta- Ethan definitely talks about um, Clay Thompson uh, having you know the drug situation happen in college and how. The Warriors uh, were initially like hesitant to draft him, um, and I think, and also he writes about how, yeah, I know, and it's and it's interesting how he actually writes about how, yeah, they were hesitant, but at the same time, like there were guys like in their front office to, you know, sort of not view it as a big deal. And it's funny how you know we definitely live now um, in 2020 where you know weed is definitely not necessarily something that is as stigmatizing as it once was. Um, even even then, you know, you know, a decade ago, when you know they're thinking about whether to draft one of the best heat check players like ever, and so like it's funny how like you know we'd almost derail that when maybe even like a season or two even before that, if if Clay would have had like new problems under a different owner, they probably would have ignored him altogether. So. I do think it's sort of interesting seeing how the league has changed uh, on their stance for pot uh, from then to now. Well, and he draws a good comparison about even Jackson still works for ESPN. Okay. And, and he, he draws a good comparison about how, you know, p- people look the other way when, you know, you got guys going out and drinking, you know, at night and then can recover and go play the next day. Like what's the difference between that um, and somebody who uses marijuana, you know, not like, all the time, but just recreationally once in a while. Um, and kind of like, it's a good, it's a good, it's something to think about, you know, it's thought provoking that we don't judge the two the same way in sport, you know, maybe we should. George, is there any other revelation that you found like super interesting in in the, I think it's shout out to Jerry West. I'm biased. Obviously we're all biased, but like he's, he is easily, I mean, is there anybody else that's a better talent evaluator in the last 30 years, let alone the history of the stuff that he sees. And like, you get an insight about that, that like he was team clay Thompson. And it's like, no, he just needs to get in a rhythm. He just needs to be a part of a rhythm to get it going. And the, how close they came to unloading, not only Steph in multiple times, but, um, but clay. And it's just, somebody has to see the right thing, in you and that's why they trusted have you know so many organizations the the grizzlies the lakers obviously have trusted him over the years just to kind of just to watch just he's not even like they said he wasn't even there sometimes it's just like you know hey just watch this video and just get an idea about 
what this guy can do better um, is, yep. is 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 amazing that uh, somebody like that can have an impact on not only you know that Clay's individual career like um, how he you know what he's what how good he's going to be might you know might affect his future earnings if he gets a bigger contract but like the whole kind of path of that franchise changes if they trade him and and uh, Steph for Chris Paul as was kind of like the big headline that came out of the book in the early part that they wanted to trade him for Chris Paul at multiple points um, and that they didn't trust Steph and that you know thought his ankle was going to be a problem and he's undersized and this and that and like all that stuff changed in like a year and that that's just kind of wild to think about yeah I think there were two revelations about Wes that um, I thought were like really eye-opening which I, I definitely didn't know in the moment and so that's why this book is is at least right now this book is shaping up to be really well made uh the first revelation was he was a big Dion waiters guy mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I i do think you know maybe Dion's career is different if he has better leadership around him but man, like I can, I really cannot imagine Dion Waiters on like at a high level in these Warriors teams like being <laughs> the guy. That would have been wild. Um, and the second revelation that it was actually really more shocking than that, which other than the the state uh, Stephen Clay trade, which we can talk about a little bit, I think the biggest revelation so far for me at least was. They asked, Lakeup asked Wes to take a pay cut. Like, he's literally, like, like one of the greatest executives that the NBA has ever seen. Like, talent evaluation, like, his stint, you know, going from being a player to the business. Uh, not business, but, you know, just the, the talent evaluation and, you know, the front office acumen that Jerry was brought to the table to ask him of all people to take a pay cut, I think it's insulting, like flat out. Like, mm-hmm. and for, and it's actually interesting how, um, a little oh, bit, absolutely. They even allude to like Lakeup saying, oh yeah, uh, Steve Kirk can hire any assistant he wants to have an open checkbook. But yet, like, probably one of the most important pieces of why you guys are champions, like, you were being cheap. Like, I think, you know, obviously we don't know, like, the dollar amounts. Uh, maybe Wes was asking more, you know, than maybe what Lego was thinking he was worth. But at the same time, like, if anyone that's not going to be on the court that wants an open checkbook is Jerry West. So mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was a pretty bad look on Lego. It just shows you how people, you know, because I've always seen, you know, okay, special advisor, like, how much does – you know, so-and-so's impact have on a, a position. We kind of think in terms of, of GM, you know, want to blame the general manager in any sport, but a lot of times it's these talent evaluator folks and scouts that are, that drive, uh, I mean, 80% of these decisions, if not more, you know, where the, where the GM can't do everything. So it's just like, yeah, I'm going to trust my scouts in that. And like, who better to trust than, than Jerry West when he's watching film, because he's been right on, on so much stuff like that. Um, the Dion Waiters thing was funny. <laughs> I'll give yes. you know, we'll <laughs> I, I, like, I read it and I kind of grimaced. I was like, oh, not Dion Waiters, Jerry. Like, don't, don't make that <laughs> Dion <Yeah>. Waiters <clears throat> is just one of those guys where it's like he looks great on paper. And like if you're watching his film sometimes, 
he, you can see what the potential's there. But Dion Waiters has never had any interest in tapping into his potential. Mm. So he just never does. And he just shoots a lot. And then, I mean, that's how we got Waiters Island and everything like that. So I can see where Jerry's coming from, but I can't back Jerry on that decision either. That was wild. I mean, well, he, he got Clay, who's the ultimate heat check guy. But I mean, Dion, he is, he's a heat check guy. Like he, he definitely yeah, has yeah. moments of where, like, he if he catches fire, you know, he's, like, super talented. But that's – he's way – it's way less likely to happen for him than it is for Klay Thompson. So um, – but, you know, I, I see the vision, Jerry. I see the fucking vision. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kellen, um, what's, um, what's another sort of revelation from the book? Uh, that you picked up on that was interesting to you. David Stern talking about Lake of Bind was kind of funny for me because got another God rest your soul, David Stern. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like Stern's the guy who operate the Sonics going to see. And then that like he's asking, asking him like his opinion on how he got the Warriors. And he's like, Oh, well they, they did it. He almost wanted to say they did it in a slimy way and everything. And, and it's just like, I don't like Stern has always been known to hold grudges in a way, uh, especially when things aren't done the way that he would like them to be. Uh, he's always been um, obviously he's he helped make the NBA one of the biggest sports on the planet in his uh, tenure as mayor, like the 30 years that he did. Like he just holds grudges, and then to see see the way he talked about Lakeup with just such disrespect. He's like, yeah, you know, like, and this is like night. He said this last year. Um, He was like, yeah, yeah you know, uh, they just came in and took it from Ellison and Ellison could have put team if he wanted to and da, 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 da. But I guess it just didn't work out. And there was things done that was a little underhanded and, and that, and one thing about David Stern, man, like, you got to respect the fact that even as far away from the game as he was as commissioner at that point, that he still stuck to his guns. He was like, you know what? They didn't do it the way I wanted to. So fuck them guys and their championships. Um, I, I got a kick out of reading Stern being David Stern um, in that uh, first chapter. That was awesome. A, a part of me wishes, well, a part of me thinks that I think Stern eventually would have did like, a massive like tell all where like he spilled like well he would have spilled like all the fucking secrets like that eight, the, that, uh, that that eighty four draft uh, that the, the frozen envelope the, the, <laughs> 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 it's, it's whatever it's what I want I want that that shit was rigged so hard and they still can't <laughs> win the championship I uh, I like the whole like um Chris Paul to L A then not to L A trade like oh, yeah. Man best is basketball decision like still to this day i that trade getting vetoed is like the weirdest thing ever and i get that the nba technically owned the team and it wasn't good, good for the league but i mean it was a fair and square trade man i mean there's so i mean he messed with then the kobe's obviously affected uh chris paul's career um just so many things that could have gone differently from that trade going through. I mean, hell, Kobe and Chris Paul could have hated each other and and maybe gotten a fight on the court. Who knows? <laughs> but um, yeah, like uh, you can't. I really wish we could have gotten that book from Stern. And even if we 
even if it hadn't been a book, there would have been some kind of interview where he just dropped a few things that would have definitely been worth it to know in hindsight. And and I'd love to know about that 85 draft, man. Like, I know you want to get Patrick Ewing to the Knicks and everything, but come on, man. He definitely had like a, maybe it wasn't like a frozen envelope. Maybe he had like a, like a little, um, like a microwave on the side, like a like a hot plate that it was just little. If you touch your hand, maybe burn a little bit, and that's how you knew it was it was the envelope. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out there. The truth is out there, uh, George. Uh, before we get into, um, we're gonna get a little bit more into kind of like our what ifs so far, because there's definitely mm-hmm. like a couple of what if questions that I have that Ethan brought up. Um, do you have any more revelations from the book that you wanted to, uh, to put on the table? Uh, n- nothing too, too big. The Mark Jackson stuff and the kind of how much influence Jerry West had were probably like the two biggest ones for me and specific, specifically like how it regarded Clay Thompson and that, um, the, chapter one is interesting just because like, it, it, I mean, it can get real minutia about, you know, like, billionaires talking to other billionaires about spending billions of dollars, you know, on, on things. Um, but but it's still, but so, and like that might turn some people off, but it's still interesting, you know, like, you know, how do decisions get made at like these crazy levels that like, I can't even fathom. Um, so to kind of just go behind the scenes and almost kind of, you know, Hey, I need, I can get you a meeting. No, we don't want a meeting. Yeah. I want a meeting. And like, as opposed to it being an open auction, which is kind of, I mean, people put in bids, but like you always kind of have people, you know, if you sell a team, people kind of have in mind where they want it or how it how you want it to look. And like this guy, Cohen, that was selling it, like seemingly didn't care. And just Lacob gets to him through that Sal guy before Larry Ellison, who owns Oracle and Oracle, of course, is this big, you know, super, you know, technology computer company. They had the name on the damn arena for crying on the old arena for crying out loud. Um, and, and just gets gets to him before the the other billionaire. It, it's it's like it's, it's lack of a better term. It's like a dick measuring contest, you know. Like they're just gonna be like, well, I got hundred million more dollars. And I'm yeah. just gonna you know and just throw it down on the table, you know. Um, which is kind of what it might have turned into had Lacob not gotten in there, you know, flying to Baltimore where his son was having a lacrosse tournament. <laughs> to, that was some real billions type shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that. I was like, this whole that whole first chapter felt like it was right out of billions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like that's that's interesting to me. It's not maybe for some people it's probably re- like a re- kind of relevatory, but like it's just interesting to watch. Like, man, we got to get we got to get there this weekend before he has a chance to think about Larry Ellison. So we're gonna fly across the country in a jet to, to Baltimore <laughs> to try and talk with him on his plane. Like it's just that's right. wild. Wow. And it was, like, it was like a real minor flex too, because it was like he's like, oh, Joe had a plane, so Joe's just gonna fly to Baltimore real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a plane. They slipped that in there. Yeah, I got a plane, so I can <laughs> fly to Baltimore. So obviously, we're in the camp of that Joe did go actually meet up with Cohan to have this discussion. Yes. Um, versus like of course them denying everything afterwards mm-hmm. and like, oh, that never happened. That never happened. Like we, I, I was. I believe him. Like, 
Yeah. There, there's no way they wouldn't take more money from Ellis if there wasn't literally like if they didn't like uh, Joe and um, I'm leaving out the other dude's name. Yeah. I'm not looking yeah. at Peter Goober book right now. Um, at, yeah. Thank you. Like like he like he liked he liked those two as as the future owners man and that's all it came down to so I'm I'm fully believing that there was a that took place face to face. Another the another big money flex that was hilarious. So this is a, a passage uh, from uh, I think the the Light Years chapter. <laughs> I once talked politics with Lakeup right after the 2016 election. He, he hadn't voted for Trump, but identified as a Republican voter. When you make a lot of money, they try to take it, he said. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. <laughs> he added quite dismissively, then walked over somewhere else without announcing the need to leave. That's a flex. <laughs> yeah. That is a big yeah. flex. Damn. You uh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he said to him. Holy shit. <laughs> Kellen, before we go to kind of like the what ifs, uh, was there any last um, revelation from the book that caught your eye? Jerry West is just awesome. <laughs> he's he's freaking awesome, man. Like, I've read yeah. his autobiography that came out a few years ago, West, yes. by, West by West. Yes. And I, I got it. Um, Love that book. And. Oh. Like y'all y'all have mentioned already, he's he was a great player. He's an NBA logo, great a talent, swung the Kobe trade back in '96. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and then obviously was a part of this dynasty for a few years, and and even helped the Grizzlies be competitive, like in the mid 2000s there for a little bit. When I say competitive, they made the playoffs, but he he was a part of that whole structure too. So um, just shout out to you, Jerry West. I just wanted wanted to say that. Yes. Uh yeah. So we we are definitely um, are what are we Westorians? <laughs> we're we're definitely Jerry West High. Kellen Kellen is right. That I got I've got his West by West in paperback and just like he's kind of like all of us. He's got like you know he struggles with things. He's kind of had his. The crazy part was after this, all the, you know, after Kobe died and everything, like after Kellen will know after reading his biography, he autobiography, he says like kind of like the one event that had affected him the most in his entire life was his brother, who was a little bit younger than or a little bit older than him, um, died in the Korean War. And yeah. like, like during the Kobe stuff, like I, I saw him like just sitting there crying when they were when inside the NBA was out there. And it's like besides my brother dying in the Korean War, this is the worst day of my life. And it, that tells you the relationship that he had with, with Kobe and everything. And it just like, he's, he's given his, you know, life to basketball and just to kind of how he grew up kind of like, you know, straight up West Virginia poverty, (laughs) gravel, you you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. And just like, he's like, you know, something that if you're from the state, you can kind of, we can idolize him like that because we ain't got nothing else, man. So yeah, it's, it's good. It's that it's worth a read. And something else I took from that book, man, he really, even to the day he wrote that autobiography, he really hated losing that many times to Bill Russell and the mm-hmm. Celtics, man. Like, mm-hmm. that shit's, well, it, it haunts him to this day. Explain why you dislike the color green and try to avoid at all costs going to Boston. I haven't been to Boston since I stopped playing basketball. And, and um, 
and the fans were great to me back there. They really were. But I'm sure you've had opportunity in business and reason to go no, to Boston. Not, no, well, I've had opportunities to go back there a number of times, but it's just something I didn't want to do. A lot of old bad memories, and, and uh, I don't hate green, okay? I, I make a joke out of it, and uh, I had great respect for the Celtics. We lost some really tough playoffs uh, against them, and uh, I thought there was two times we should have won, and we didn't win. And those are the things that you will take to your grave. Um, I'm still tormented by those losses, to be honest with you. You know, we, we in this league, we talk about greatness of players, how many championships they win. Well, trust me, there's a lot of these great players, if they didn't play with the right people, they wouldn't win championships. And you, you need good fortune, you need great teammates, uh, you need good health, you need a great bounce here or there. And that never seemed to happen for us. And I think the two times, the one time that was really devastating for me is, is that um, we got beaten in the seventh final game on our home court, and Boston finished fourth in the East, and they, they win the NBA championship. They were not a better team than we were. They weren't. And I've had two dubious honors that I wouldn't recommend anyone to have. I was the most valuable player in the losing uh, in the NBA finals on a losing team where we got beat by one point by California. And I was the most valuable player in a seven-game loss in a series against the Celtics. I don't know of any other player that's ever had that honor, and it's not an honor. What do you remember from that? Oh, just how stupid it was that I would receive that and I wasn't part of the winning team. It was not, didn't seem right. It was meaningless for me regardless of how I played. And that's something that I love about Jordan is how competitive he is. And I love it about Jerry that all these years removed from being in the NBA and being in those NBA finals, he still hates that they couldn't (laughs) close out in game seven in 1969. He has nightmares about it. And I I hate it for him, but I love it. Love the competitiveness. The competitiveness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not from West Virginia, but my time in West Virginia, I definitely understand what Jerry means to the state. Um, it's it's funny, like even just sort of seeing the outside perspective of what he means to West Virginia um, and WVU in particular, um, and just sort of looking at the totality of his career, um, he was definitely one of one. So. Um, Jerry West, man, hero of the state, so shout out to him. Hey, hey, yeah, you. You like comic books, anime, and stuff? Sure you do. Who the hell doesn't? And that's why you should listen to a podcast called Fresh. It's like audio cliff notes of ancient texts painstakingly translated by us for you. So do yourself a favor. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Trust me, we're everywhere. So don't forget... It's a podcast called Fresh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere podcasts are casted. What kind of forever? Another thing I want to d- discuss with you guys also was sort of kind of the what ifs that I saw in the book. Because there's a couple of times when, um, you know, Ethan does get into some details about the Warriors during this time period that I thought were a little bit interesting. And so I wanted to get you guys' opinion on that. Um, one of the early, we're going to kind of jump around as far as time or whatever. Um, but you know, it's still pretty, it's still pretty on, on the nose. One of the revelations on page 36 of the, of the hardcopy book I have even talks about 
how Draymond Green came into the fold and how he was an important part of the Warriors team. In the paragraph that he talked about him being an important part, he says that Draymond was the second most important part of that team to win 73 games. Do you guys believe that? Because I was always in the mindset that it was Clay was always the second best, but because of Draymond's his defensive acumen above everything else, um, I think that's why um, Ethan would have said that uh, Dre was the second best on the team. But do you guys, who you guys think was the second best? Was it Dre or was it Clay? Or by any chance do you think it happened to be Steph that was second best on that team? Um, okay. So, <laughs> so, second best player on the team, no. That, that does go to Clay. Second most important to maybe first most important on the mm-hmm. team, that does go to Draymond Green. You've always stated defense wins championships. Blocks. Toughness. Energy. Conflict at the rim. You hate going against guys like that. Draymond Green. He guards every single position. He talks major shit and backs it up. Draymond Green. You can't score on me. Oh, and the 2017 Kia NBA Defensive Player of the Year goes to Draymond Green. Oh, because affects every, the game. Yeah, it, it really does. Like every championship team, man, has like has that player, whether it be a Jordan or a Kobe or a Ben Wallace, a Chauncey Billups, a Rasheed Wallace, a, a Kevin Garnett. They have a player that. They are impacting the game even when they don't appear to be impacting the game. And as much as I love Steph, especially his 2015-2016 season, as much as I love Clay um, when when he's on like and saving the team from inevitable doom like he did in the 2016 uh, Western Conference Finals against the OKC, Draymond is the consistent thing that gets that team up and down the floor. He is the heart and soul of that Warriors team. The team goes as Draymond goes. And when you have a player like that who isn't afraid to get in there and play any position that's that's needed, he's not afraid to take a shot when it's open, whether he makes it or not, especially a three ball, that's kind of up in the air. But still, when you just have this player who can get out there and just – be physical and be a leader on the floor and take control of the team when things are getting out of hand. That is super important because as much as Steph can shoot the lights out and has had amazing moments like over the past four years, five years, like I still feel like he even defers to Draymond as the leader of the team. And as I get further into the book, I'm going to, I'm especially after I saw that interview that Draymond just did, I, I just know that part of the whole thing with Durant and leaving the Warriors and having problems with the Warriors, it's going to come out that it was because him and Draymond were cra- were clashing. And I know it came out like they're fighting and they had fights on the floor and stuff. We had those little spats and stuff was reported in media. We win a championship. Kevin went finals MVP. He fucking, in my opinion, he, he, he got the best of Bron that series. Like Kevin was fucking rocking. After that, that was kind of that moment of like, damn, Kevin should be the best player in the NBA now because of what he just did to LeBron. 
And it's like you turn on the, the TV the next day, and every like the, the fucking headline is LeBron James still the best player in the world, question mark. Then you got Stephen A, you got all these people debating it, and everybody still saying LeBron James is the best player in the world. That's when I kind of felt like it took a turn, and then we came back 2017-2018 season, and again. Kevin just wasn't as happy, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't as like, Steph, do what you do, Clay, do what you do. All of a sudden, it was kind of just like, fuck, why, why Steph shooting this shot, or fuck, he ain't passed the ball, or why Clay shooting this shot, or fuck, why he ain't passed the ball? And I'm just sitting there like, yo... That's the same Clay and Steph I've always played with. Like, they mm-hmm. ain't playing no different than they've always played. And I know those two guys, they definitely not looking you off. You know what I'm saying? They may not see you because they fucking got tunnel vision at times, which <laughs> most scores do got tunnel vision at times, and that's why they're great scores. But they ain't going to never just fucking look you off. I done played with them since I came into this league. That ain't who they are. But I know the deeper I get in this book, the more it's going to be about – Katie not wanting to be, not wanting to follow Draymond's lead. And that is why I feel like Draymond is the most important part because once KD realized that this wasn't going to be his team, that it wasn't going to be even him and Steph's team, that it was really Draymond running this ship on the, when they're out there on the floor, he didn't want any more parts of it on top of his other issues with him not getting respect that he deserved after being LeBron in the finals and him just maturing badly and all these other things we'll probably get into that we we could open up about KD. But without Draymond Green, I don't feel like any of those titles happen in Golden State. Even if KD came in 2016, I feel like none of those titles happen without Draymond Green. So second best player, no. Most important player, quite possibly. I'm going to say he's number two behind Steph. Because mm-hmm. he's he's 1B. Steph's 1A and he's 1B to me. Dre, uh, George, before you talk a little bit about uh, Draymond and the question that I posed, I want mm-hmm. you to answer this question first. So let's say you have a player in the game. Mm-hmm. He goes 11 for 15 from the field. He goes 6 from 8 three-point range. 6 for 8 from three-point range. He's mm-hmm. 100% from the free throw line. He grabs you 15 <laughs> rebounds, scores 32 points, and has nine assists. Is that a player <laughs> who does all of that in a game seven? Is that a player who you would want on your team? Yes. And yes, so that is the monster stat line. And also, <laughs> he was minus he was minus one. He did all of that and was minus one. So that's the side that Draymond put up in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. Uh, Incredible that, game. That Warriors lost. And, like, I – it's so weird that, like, Draymond – like, you would never thought Draymond will put up a 32-15-9 game and go 75% from three. Like, you would not have guessed that. And yet he, like, unleashed in this ridiculous way. Uh, but, George, do you think that – um, so Ethan says he's the second, um, you know, second best on the team. Uh, do you agree with Kellen, or what do you what do you think about Dre's spot on the yeah. Warriors team? Not not second best. I agree with Kellen. Not second best, but the second most important player. And I'll take it from like the intangible standpoint, not even the stat line. A, it was interesting to see uh, Ethan write that 
basically he was kind of the first guy I don't want to say to the NBA, but like one of the first guys that you could stick at any of the five positions on the floor and he could play it, could play point guard, could play underneath, could could kind of do it all. But I've got this love-hate relationship with, with Draymond Green. It's like you love seeing the type of stuff that he does, but also you hate him at the same time. It's it's the intangible stuff. It's he's just gonna he's gonna get in your head. He's gonna be a dick to you. He's gonna kick you in the nuts. He's gonna wear a t-shirt at the parade with the fist after they shut LeBron out from that ring. Um, it's just all that stuff that makes you want to hate him that gets into that he can get into the opposition's head because Steph and Clay are gonna do. It goes back to that rhythm thing. It's just so it's so smooth. It's so effortless the way they play the game, especially from the perimeter, but you need a Draymond guy in there just that is willing to go down and crash on people and also talk shit to him at the same time, just to kind of check them. So uh, that is, is kind of an understated thing that all of these great teams need. Um, kind of reminds me of Garnett kind of reminds me of Oakley in some ways, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. physicality playing style, but just like the way, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the boards with you. I'm going to, I'm going to get in your head. I'm going to, uh, you're, you're not going to get rid of me and I'm going to be a factor. It may not be on the score sheet all the time. And a lot of times it was on the score sheet, but sometimes it's just going to be from my presence there and you not wanting to come up against me. Um, and yep. I think that's where he makes that kind of difference on a team like that. I I agree with Kellen. Um, I don't think the Warriors win any championship without Draymond. Like, I think let's if he gets like injured in like the second round or whatever. I mean, hell, like I would even make the argument even if he got injured in like the finals, like um, on those teams uh, before KD, like I don't think they win those championships, man. I mean, you can even see it in you know the 2016 finals when you know they were in the closeout game. Uh, Dre tapped one too many ball sacks for <laughs> for Adam Silver's lightning, <laughs> and so he, he gets suspended. Uh, and then naturally, the Warriors lose. You know, the next game, even the game he comes back, like that game that he came back, like it was sort of like a an okay game from Draymond. Um, but they 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 couldn't obviously close it out. Um, and even in Game Seven, like he's minus one, he's like an assist away from. Probably like the greatest. If if Draymond gets like one extra assist and that assist for, is for like Steph Curry hitting like the right three at the right time and they win that series, like that Draymond probably has like the greatest game seven in NBA history. Like it's it's not really unfathomable to kind of think about it in that sort of way. Um, so I yeah I think from a talent aspect yeah Clay is definitely like the second most talented performer uh, athletically um i i do think yeah i would i would say steph is probably the most important but i do agree with george steph is the most important but i would say dre is the is the second most important because you have like these herculean defensive efforts from someone who can't get switched onto any single person to guard and then you have this herculean shooting um, guard who is literally like um sorry shooting point guard where he's literally like the greatest shooter in NBA history. So the tandem of that great offense with his great defense and then even you know you have Clay and his offense and defense Iguodala's defense like you know they were just a machine man. And so I do think that's why this book was written. 
Um, and also the interest of the Warriors in itself is because, you know, they are, the, the book is appropriately titled, like, they are the victory machine. Like, they they had something that the league did not have at that point. And Mark Jackson, he had it in his in his wheelhouse. It was in his home, but he couldn't figure out how to manipulate it to the best that they could be. And we're going to get into, um, you know, Kerr later because that starts in chapter three. But the genius of Kerr and also the staff around Kerr, um, it, it's undeniable. It's, it's really undeniable. Um, another aspect that I wanted to look into was, I alluded to it before, was the Stephen Clay trade uh, that was nixed uh, for Chris Paul. Uh, like, that's, uh, like, I can't imagine what the league is if that actually goes through. Uh, I know Chris Paul is Kellen's favorite point guard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be coming off my anti-Chris Paul stance, though. What? Oh, what's, wow. Where's that coming from? Look at the iceberg melts. Where is this those, coming those from? Those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no, it ain't the damn commercials. <laughs> I, I really respected what Chris Paul was doing in OKC this season. It was probably easily, oh. like, I, I was just enjoying what he was doing, man. Like, I, I, he went to a situation that he didn't plan on going to. He could have been shitty about it. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to fuck it. I'm just going to play basketball. And he, f- for most of the season, I I, I enjoy watching Chris Paul on OKC. I don't know what it was. I don't know what turn, what changed. But I was kind of like, you know what? May, maybe this guy's not so bad after all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I got. Okay? Wow. I never mm. thought I would see this. I know. I know. That's shocking. <laughs> what, George, in your opinion, what do you think the NBA is if, if this trade actually goes down? So this is this is uh 2011. So and this is, you know, way it's between New Orleans, right? When Paul was in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, I I don't think it makes I don't think it makes Golden State better, um, obviously. Um, hindsight being 2020, but um, I'm not even sure if it makes. I mean, New Orleans, yeah. Like, what do you? I don't, I don't think it makes them better because they needed they needed a coach that would unlock like Steph's just fucking green light 100 percent of the game, but they also needed someone who could have patience to develop Clay. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the trade actually works out for either team, honestly. No. Well, I think it probably works out for the Warriors more. But then who's going to be that second person to step up offensively for them? And I don't like maybe maybe New Orleans makes a couple of, you know, playoff appearances, but they don't become this this juggernaut with this crazy offense that just is lights out. You know, I mean, those guys probably get their points in some ways, but I don't think they that it turns into any kind of dynastic looking thing like we had in Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And Chris Paul even said to the Warriors, he's like, I'm not staying after my contract's up. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, he would have been a, a rental that wouldn't have worked at all. So in, in, in the book, Ethan kind of alludes to the Warriors sort of um, having an attitude of like, we would have made it work. Um, 
I want you guys. So I want you guys to rate if this paragraph is bullshit or no bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, were the Curry near trades grievous missteps? Did the Warriors really know what they were doing? One perspective is that the Warriors were lucky that they failed in acting on their wants. The internal perspective is that they would still have managed. Uh, they still would have made success happen somehow, some way, if certain outcomes changed. Lake of a devoted blackjack and poker player somehow believes in the probability uh, simultaneously with believing in the power of belief. If the Warriors cleaned up their organization, they stood to shift the decision-making odds in their favor. If they embraced the wisdom of an informed crowd, its collective engaged intelligence would prevail. I'm calling bullshit on that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't... Yeah. Somewhere in that chapter, they said like he, they somebody equated it to Levar Ball. Like if you speak it enough into existence, maybe it'll happen. And we, <laughs> we we know how well that's gone for for the, his big baller brand. So yeah, um, I never got my big baller brand shoes. <laughs> oh my God, Kellen! If you spent four dollars on them shoes, we're gonna have words, man. No, I didn't. Dang, it's a joke, <laughs> son. <laughs> Actually, you know, the funny thing is, like, if those shoes were a little bit better, I, I may have done it. <laughs> just, to, just to see the ridiculousness of it. Um, there's a rapper, Danny Brown. He actually ordered one pair, and they sent him two. They sent him two pairs by accident. <laughs> they sent him a second wow. pair, like, on total accident. Um, so shout out to Danny Brown. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't really see it happening. Like um they don't like I mean you can't expect Draymond to be bombing threes. I think the funniest joke on Twitter is someone said every time Draymond shoots, he looks like he's wearing a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> like, like his J was like never that wet, like like so you can't have him like balling threes out there or whatever. Oh man. Um, so any final thoughts that you guys have um, for the book? Um, what are some of your, do you have like any hesitations or thinking that maybe the first couple of chapters were good and the rest will be disappointing? Um, George, what do you, what do you think the rest of the book's going to take us? I mean, we obviously know it's going to take some championship, but, what um what are some of your thoughts on the book heading forward? I'm excited. Um, I think the next the chapter three looks like it's going to be about Steve Kerr, which is interesting, um, because you know he obviously, and we're kind of getting the the refresh on Steve Kerr from the Last Dance and everything, but you know he went on to be the GM of the Suns for a while. He was just kind of he still wanted to be involved. He was on TNT, did games, you know, alongside Marv Albert was real good doing that, and then kind of ends up in this spot and it's like, okay, another former player, you know, turn coach thing. And he has kind of like set the model for how this works. Cause certainly Jason Kidd hasn't figured out how to do it. Um, <laughs> and some of these other people, I don't know why I threw that hate in at Jason Kidd, but fine. Um, <laughs> a quick, a quick sidebar. Apparently he's, he's being considered for the Brooklyn job again. God, what? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh my so, God. Who the fuck knows why? But keep going, George. <laughs> yeah. Car DUI in the Hamptons. They traded him. They traded him. <laughs> this is how that ended the first time. Um, but no, I'm ex- I, I'm 
I think it gives it's a good teaser because like I I like the stuff and we kind of touched on it just the behind the scenes about you know this player said this and th- I, I'm excited to kind of read some of this locker room stuff like like yeah. I, I, I I like I like Steph you know I like the stuff that he does off the court he's a big I've seen him on, if you watch him on David Faraday's program um, he's a big golf fan you know he's got like a scratch handicap like he's just a fascinating guy um, you know, like his whole life you know and his family and everything uh, and I'm curious kind of just like what other people think of Steph like what Steph think you know if we get some of that type of stuff in there just kind of like these relationships. In the locker room, we haven't even touched on KD yet, and we've already made our thoughts known about that in the end of decade show we did in January. Oh yeah, so I'm excited. Oh, to reprise, yeah, I'm excited to reprise some of that uh, coming up. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited. I'm definitely all in on this book because it reminds me of a book that probably helped along my love and passion for for professional basketball. This book came out in 1991 by Sam Smith. He used to work for the Chicago Tribune, and it was called The Jordan Rules. And literally, this guy was in the locker room um, with the Bulls throughout the 90-91 season. Like, he had access to Krauss, to Reinsdorf, to Jordan, to you name it, Dennis Hobson. He talked to all these people. Much has happened to Michael Jordan since he cradled the NBA championship trophy in the victorious Bulls locker room last June. Magic Johnson has passed the torch to Michael as the NBA's ambassador. And the league's MVP for his amazing offensive skills finds himself on the defensive as a book entitled The Jordan Rules hits the streets this week. It details an alleged double standard in Chicago regarding Jordan and his teammates. Before tonight's game, Hubie Brown spent a few minutes with Michael Jordan. Over the next weekend, a very, very controversial book about 1991, the championship season, Michael Jordan, the focal point. Have any ideas about it? No, not really. You know, uh, I think a lot of people have an opportunity to, to see exactly what the media can do to certain people or to any person that they choose to, to uh, point fingers at. I think right now you're about to see uh, ways that people can tend to make money off, uh, off of things that's not really true. I mean, uh, our team is pretty much uh, together as a team. We, we went through a, a heck of a season last, last year. We achieved a lot. And now uh, we feel someone's coming in and trying to, to, you know, make money off of that whole situation of our joy that we went through last year and, and doing it in a dirty way. And he literally just told the whole story of the Bulls going through their season, their ups and downs, how Jordan was an asshole, and he held nothing back. And then the Bulls won championship. The book came out, and then right as this 91-92 season started, everybody's mad at him, obviously. <laughs> but the book's incredible. That's another book recommendation, West by West and the Jordan Rules. Yes. But this book has a similar vibe to the Jordan Rules. I love any kind of back behind the scenes access to a team like this. So I'm excited to get to more about the players and stuff. And I'm obviously I'm guessing stuff will be in will actually be involved in the making of this book and and then um so and who knows what they got from KD and any any kind of insight to those to the work, inner workings of a franchise I'm all for it. So I'm definitely excited to read more. Um I paced myself to only to only do these first two chapters so I wouldn't be on here but like you see what's that happened in chapter seven because easily I I could lose hours and just dive into this book because this is my this is definitely my right up my alley this is the way to put it so mm. I'm excited to continue and um shout out to you Marcus for recommending this book because I had no yes. idea what's coming out yeah I I the moment that I found out I I reached out to you guys because I was as soon as I saw it like I knew it was something I was going to want to buy and I knew you guys would be into it too. 
Um, since you guys have each recommended a sports book to, to read, particularly a basketball book to read, um, I would recommend, if you guys have not uh, read this yet, uh, Phil Jackson's book, The Last Season. Mm. Um, oh, I got words about that one. I got oh, words shit. about that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, bro. I, so. I, I, I talked about it once on my old podcast, but I, I just have a couple words. Go ahead. Um, well, shit, you're more passionate than I am. <laughs> well, before you before you bomb first on the book, uh, for whoever, anyone who's not read the book, it's basically um, a running diary, basically, of Phil Jackson's quote-unquote last season with the Lakers as their head coach. Uh, this was the last season when it was basically him, Shaq, and um, and Kobe. Uh, this the is three oh four season. Yeah, so this is when they lost to the Pistons. Um, he left, I think, it was like a season or two, and then he came back uh, to a Shackless Lakers team. Uh, but go ahead, Tupac bomb first. All right, so I was excited for this book for uh, like I didn't buy it like when it first dropped, but it was always one of those books like when. You would be broke and in college. You'd be in a bookstore and you look at books. But like, you know what? I really want to read this book. I really want to read this book. And then finally, I broke down and I was like, I, I got the paperback, and I read it. The book is good. So that let's get that out of the way. The book is good. The frustrating part for me was the the Kobe stuff was fine that Phil said, and, and like the insider access was really good. But again, I was comparing it to the Jordan rules, which is like the the peak of behind the scenes of a franchise. And to have Phil, who is like the coach of this team and talking about the players and relationships and everything, was super awesome. My only problem I had with this book is like it's supposed to be – it's written in journal form. Like you said, it's like a diary that Phil has kept throughout the season and stuff. I realized there was huge gaps and shit where it was like one minute we're talking about stuff that was happening like December. And then next thing is like March. It's like, oh, we're doing really well now. And this happened. And this happened. And I was like, look, if, if you're going to write this book, Phil Jackson, you need to keep a more detailed diary, okay? He's <laughs> like, I need to know what happened in January. I want to know what was said when somebody got named to the All-Star team in February. I just felt like it was like maybe he did keep a running journal, and then like he took it to the publisher, and they're like, uh, we're not using any of this shit because you're talking about like some Zen stuff, and, and nobody wants to hear about like Kobe getting takeout and like sitting on the side and eating it and not wanting to practice. And we're going to leave that stuff out. We're only going to keep the juicy stuff. So maybe it was his editors, but I was really disappointed. There wasn't more from Phil. We got some really quality stuff from Phil in that book, but I just wanted more insider stuff from Phil, especially with how tumultuous that situation was. And then for it to be like, Oh, we're in the playoffs and Oh, we're doing okay. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, everything's falling apart. Kobe did this in Colorado and Jean, me and Jeannie was hanging out and I, you know, just, it just felt very scattered at times. I wanted a better storytelling narrative from the book. Um, and I haven't read it in years. Um, but even that still stays with me to this day that I felt like it could have been more, more could have been said about, uh, could have been done with the entire season as a whole. But if you just want to get to the juicy parts, I guess it's fine. Um, I'm someone who likes all his blanks filled in when it comes to a story, especially a team, a, a story about a sports team. So I do think the last season is a good book. There's nothing wrong with it. I just wanted more. Um, I just wanted more than what I got. I was being greedy. So that's essentially what that comes down to. <laughs> you're going to keep these diaries. You've got to remember more to write a book. 
<laughs> Every person needs detailed diaries about their lives. If you're a journal, it can't be like February 2nd. Uh, had practice. Toe hurts. Jeannie blew me under the desk. That was awesome. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't know you needed Jeannie uh, blowjob stories, Kellen. Jeannie bus blowjob stories. Jesus. Hey, man. My my erotic fiction game is weird. Leave me alone. Hey. Yeah. Oh, another funny thing. You made a comment to Cat to at the beginning of the episode, and uh, you said it, and then she was like, hey. And I, she said the exact same time as I said, hey. It was hilarious. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, and, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely expecting a lot of great things from this book. Um, I would say for the next episode that we have, uh, I think, I mean, it's actually pretty easy to break it up into sort of three sections. So I would say the next book, uh, sorry, the next episode that we have would be chapters three, four, and five, which are The Invention of Kerr, Sneaker Wars, and Kevin and Me, which Kevin and Me, I can I can kind of already tell that's going to be the bomb first uh, paragraph. Mm. So, so yeah, I would. Along, I know Kellen said he would digest it, you know, in an instance if he could. Uh, but I would think we cover those three pair, uh, those three chapters, and uh, go from there. Um, but yeah, I expect great things from this book, man. So, um, I'm very pleased so far, and so I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a lot of good shit on the horizon. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. Kelly, you want to go ahead and close this out? Well, you know, I, I certainly can. So uh, you've been listening to Hyphen Nation brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective, bringing great podcasts to the people, hyphenpodcastgroup.com. And then also it's brought to you, as always, by Mark Rob, written by my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Showman. Love Robinson, who happens to be on this podcast. Um, you can go check out all his prolific paragraphs of pontifications over there. He's been doing a, a movie reviews from his letterbox. He's been posting them on Sundays, so make sure you check those out. And along with all his other great writing, I recommend this time uh, the Drake Bracket. That's always fun to revisit. The M-A-R-C-R-O-B dot WordPress dot com. That's how I can find Marcus. For, for George Howitzer Gerbo, for Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson, I'm Kellen Conley. This has been Hyphenation. And Marcus, thanks for uh, the book recommendation and, and the great podcast idea. And we'll be back with some more chapters here soon, guys. So I'm going to end it right here and say thanks, y'all. Who knows what's going to happen after that? <laughs> the intro of the outro. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, I got to leave that in there. Fuck. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, man. I gotta tell you something. I yeah. gotta interrupt you. Yeah. When y'all were doing Tangled on the most recent episode, and then she was talking about the scene where they're releasing the lanterns, the king and the, and the king, the king and the queen are, and it was just the music playing and that, and how much that scene affected her. One, I love Tangled, and then two, the way you put that music in that fucking audio, I could have fucking kissed you, bro, because that shit was fire. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, just saying, I, bro. You know the funny thing about that? I was, I was actually, I was super close into putting the wrong song in, but I, I was, I was going to put in. So basically, Entangle. I've never watched Tangle 
So, and this is actually why I almost fucked Need it up. Fix that. <laughs> but what happened was, um, I so in, in Tangled, there's a scene where the girl and the guy they're singing to each other, and the scene is like full of lanterns in the background or whatever. Rapunzel so, and Flynn Rider. God. Yeah. Eugene. In, anyway. <laughs> but no, but for, but for real. So, like, I was actually thinking that's what Kat was talking about. Um, but then I was listening to what Kat was saying, how she was like, there was no words in the scene. But then obviously they were singing fucking song. And so I like, <laughs> and so, so I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like what, like how to do it or whatever. And like I was able to find the actual song she was talking about. So, um, so she she actually commented and said like she actually cried when she listened to that part. So it was. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I I I could. I was affected. I was driving back home after picking up food um, last night. I was driving back to the house and I heard that and I was like, that is so perfect. Like I couldn't have done it better myself. That was gorgeous, man. I just had to say that. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that, man. I definitely do. Um, yeah, man. Like, I, because even during that episode, like, um, it's actually so weird. Like, during the episode, I I didn't, I didn't think it was going where I wanted it to. But then when I put the episode together and I listened back to it, I'm actually really happy with the work that I did in that last episode. Um, it's it kind of forced me to to sort of step shit up when uh, when I, I thought I needed to. Well, I mean, I, I think I did need to honestly, and so it, it forced me to to do shit like I wasn't doing with other episodes before. And so I'm really glad like you guys uh, did like it. So yeah, it really means a lot. You're welcome, sir. And I don't know if this is going on stand in the pod, but we're talking about Marcus's uh, other podcast. We should do, uh, do this again sometime with uh, his uh, co-host, uh, Kat, Kit Kat. Probably won't stay in the pod, though. <laughs> <laughs> if I was editing, it'd be in the pod. I don't touch shit. I'm like, oh, we're leaving that. I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. Continue on, sir. Continue on. for listening don't forget to subscribe and comment this has been a hyphen podcast network production they're the bestest i'm getting paid at exposure